The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard, a mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist and songwriter. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. In today's episode, we talk to Chriselle Lim about balance, work, family, relationships, and friends. Balance feels like such an impossible task these days. So we want to talk about what works, what doesn't, and how do you take a step back and make sure you're parenting in the way you intend to when every day feels like a Tuesday. We also talk about her personal struggle growing up as an Asian American and how we as parents can start to have conversations with our kids about race and culture to influence the next generation. Chriselle is beyond inspiring and does it all. She's the OG influencer and content creator, a fashion expert, host of Bumo Podcast, creator of Bumo Brain and Work, and most importantly, a wife and a mom to two girls. Okay. Well, hey, Chriselle, how are you doing? Hi. I am very excited right now to be hanging out with you guys. So I'm doing well. (laughs) Good. We're excited to have you on our podcast. You're someone that I love following. And Jess and I are just really excited to pick your brain and we just love your podcast. And so today we just want to talk about how you balance it all and pick your brain about all sorts of things. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm sure you're asked all the time, but something that we need to know is how you balance your family life and your career and all of your business ventures. And then of course, your podcast and social and personal life. There's a lot going on there. And work life has been even harder to say the least in 20 and 21 with just being at home. How do you balance it all? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's resetting the expectation of what balance actually means. I think people, when they talk about balance, it's this perfect scenario of like 50-50 parenting and 50% business and you just have everything under control. But you know, balance is one of those things where you have to set certain expectations. So I personally believe in being hyper-focused and giving super attention to things one at a time. And that's how I like to quote unquote balance things. So for example, when I first start the day, because I have so many different parts, moving parts up in my life, whether it be being the CMO and uh, founder of our startup business, Fumo, and then also wearing my creative hat, as a content creator. So I like to not muddle things together. I like to kind of separate things. So for example, in the morning, I have all business-related things that require more of that side of my brain um, to function at its like highest capacity, right? So I mm-hmm. allocate email time. I allocate any calls, investor meetings, anything that requires that side of my brain. And then probably about 1 to 2 p.m., that's when I actually shift gears, like how we are doing right now. It's actually exactly 2 p.m. right now as we're recording this, uh, when I shift gears to my creative side, which allows me to fully get there. Because I think the problem and why a lot of people feel overwhelmed with the many hats that they have to wear is that they feel like they can't hyper-focus and give it their all to one thing. And so allowing myself to separate these 
two things, it allows me to really kind of go deep into that mode that I want to go into. And then from 6 p.m. up to about 9 p.m., that is when it's just kids. Like I don't look at my phone. I, it's just all kids. We just focus on like their needs, whether it be feeding, family time, homework, play time, story time, bath time, all of that. And I don't look at my phone once. And so, you know, of course, there are days, there are moments when like emergency happens and I have to like get some work done. There, I'm not going to say that like every day is perfect, but those are kind of the rules that I've set in my household in order for me to function my business as well as my personal life. And then from 9 p.m. on, it's usually time for me and my partner and then also for myself. Wow, Christelle. <laughs> I'm obsessed with your like the structure of your day because this is something I need in my life. So I'm taking notes right now as you're speaking because it's so hard to just like see everything on your to-do list and get overwhelmed. Like, whoa, there's so much. Where do I even start? But the way that you kind of compartmentalize your day with like your creative hat and your business hat, and then of course your family time and then spouse time is... I mean, you make it sound so simple, even though I know it's not, Yeah. but I love how intentional you are. It's just, again, it's just having these lists, right? So as you said, we, we usually make one huge list of things that we have to do, right? And we kind of check it off. And this is what I used to do, kind of check it off as we go. But what I like to do is I like to have my three different lists, which is like, my business list. First of all, I'll create like one big list and then I'll like separate them into different categories. And then dependent on the time of the day, that's when I'll like attack those lists. And so, yes, it does sound easier than said than done. But once you get into the hang of it, you're able to really tap into a side of your brain where you're like hyper like focused and you're able to like give your best work. So that's worked very well for us. I love that. You just like gave me such an aha moment. Something I've been doing for the past, I'd say like six to nine months is that I have my to-do list in my planner and now I have three post-its. And one is a meaningful living post-it and one is a parenting post-it and one is just like our personal everything else going on. And I love it when it's those three post-its because then it feels compartmentalized, but I haven't designated a certain time for all of those. Mm. And that will just be... I feel like that is the key to success. I love that. Love that. Well, you're going to have to let me know how it goes. Oh, I will. (laughs) (laughs) what is something that you've struggled to balance over this past crazy year i think it's the same answer for most parents especially moms it's time for myself (laughs) i think as moms we are so good about thinking of other people and their needs at the end of the day we always forget about ourselves until you burn out and you're like crap like I should have thought about myself way before. And so I'm in that same boat, still figuring it out. But yeah, that 2020 definitely has been challenging in a sense where like I had zero time for myself, but 2021 going into this year, I've been a little bit more intentional about it, but still, still definitely working on it. Right. What are ways that you do kind of keep sane or, or work on being intentional with alone time? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, okay. So let me give you an example. I used to be one of those crazy people that woke up at 4.30 AM to get a workout in just because, yeah, not anymore. Like I look at that person. I was like, I'm like, who was that person? (laughs) Because I'm definitely not that person anymore. But that's an example of me taking that time in the morning and being like, look, I'm tired. So I deserve to sleep. There is absolutely no reason why I need to wake up that early. So 
Now I sleep in until the kids wake up. So I have moved that time in the morning, which was like me time, right? Um, And I moved it into like a very small like hour right when the kids go to sleep. So the kids go to bed around at 9 p.m. So between 9 to 10 p.m., that's when I get on my Peloton. I like just really get sweaty because that's my own way of like healing and self-therapy and like feeling good about myself. And then I sometimes don't even listen to the audio in the uh, Peloton. I sometimes just listen to a podcast or an audio book. And then I jump into my shower, which Jessica, in, on my pa- podcast, you were saying that it's your magical shower, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have to say mine is magical too, because it also turns into a steam room and it's just magical. Yeah. So <laughs> I sit there in my sauna and look, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that I have this situation. The previous owners of this house like love their, their steam room, I guess, because it literally, <laughs> there's like two of them in my house. Um, but I literally just sit there and I don't do anything and I just zone out. And half the time, I don't even realize that I'm in there because it's so hot. I just, I'm just elsewhere. And I think that that mm-hmm. emptiness, like not having to think about anything and just zoning out in this heat allows me to kind of heal and give like space, like empty space that I needed since, you know, the whole day is just crazy. So that's, right. that's my way of getting me time. Oh, I love that. Do you guys feel like in the shower, that's like your creative time? Because I feel like it might be my creative time just because it's the only time in my day that I really don't have my cell phone next to me. And that's the time when I get in the shower, I'm like, wow, I have so many good ideas right now. That or toilet. I mean, TMI, but it's like when I'm sitting on the toilet or in the shower. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think the thing about showers, like I... I called him, you know, a magical shower because I think it's the one time where we cannot have our phone with us mm-hmm. and there's nothing else to do. Like it's causing us to be here and now. And so I think that's that's such a great tip because I think we forget to take showers as moms. Like we really do. And oh, like yeah. we forget to prioritize them. And there's some like uh, after I had Bryce I'd be like, "Wait, when was the last day I took a shower? Like this is just not acceptable." <laughs> like how did I forget to shower? And so putting it in your routine every day is really, really smart. And I think it just mentally clears us and keeps us hygienic. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That's so funny that you said that we forget to shower. Like it's such a a new mom thing that has become the norm. Yeah. That once you get out of that new mom phase, you're just like, oh, wow. I can't believe I was like that. But yeah, I, can't, I agree. I can't believe I can't believe I forgot to shower and I wore the same outfit for like three days and I had spit up and breast milk or formula all over me. Like, what was I doing? Totally normal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I always celebrate those little victories. We've talked about this before, but just like, okay, I showered today. Like, yes, check it off the list. That is a victory and, and just celebrate it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say in your day-to-day parenting you're most proud of over the past year? Clearly, the past year has been a crazy year. We talked about how chaotic it is. And so, you know, thinking about parenting when we're just shuffling from one thing to another, what would you say you're most proud of? I think I'm really seeing these moments more and more with my oldest daughter. She's a little over six now. And especially with everything that's happening in the world, you know, they, it feels like such big concepts for them to understand. But I think my most proud moment was recently when I was talking to her about what has been happening and how people are 
getting treated unfairly and there's a lot of injustice. And then we somehow segued into, because we were driving and we somehow segued into homelessness because there was a homeless man nearby um, where we were driving. And then she asked me all these questions of like, why is, why, why is he dressed like that? How come he doesn't have shoes? And then so I, I started to talk to her about how some of these people don't have homes and food and like the car that we're driving you know, most people, these homeless people, they don't even have any money to for these basic necessities. And then all of a sudden, church is quiet. And then as we're driving, I just saw some tears come down. And I asked her and I was like, why are you crying? And she she's the type of person, she's a little bit more introverted. Um, she wouldn't tell me, but I knew why she was crying. I knew that, you know, she was finally able to feel the pain and the compassion that she has deep down inside to understand now that some people don't have these basic necessities. And I think that scared her almost. And it made her realize that what we do have is very important. So that was definitely a moment where I was like, okay, like I'm doing something right. Right. Because compassion is my number one thing. Like I want her to understand the pains and the joys of other people. And that was definitely my most proud moment as a parent. Wow. That's, that is so powerful. And she's like a little empath. Like she she has so much empathy already at such a young age. Yeah. I mean, the, we look at these little humans and we're like, they're so cute and they're so little. There are little nuggets. And then you just, sometimes you forget about how much they could actually feel and how much love and pain they could also just have in their own hearts and their little bodies. And that was definitely a, a good reminder for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That really actually segues into something I wanted to ask you about as well. We can't ignore the moment going on right now with Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. And so what are, how are you teaching them? Like, what are you talking to your kids about? Are you talking to them about racism? Are you telling them what's happening in the news? Like, what are you telling them and how are you doing that? Yeah. Give me a quick second, guys. My kids literally just got home. Okay. No problem. (laughs) No worries. You guys, I am going to, this is going to be really funny if you guys actually use this footage. I'm going to shuffle my situation up to my closet upstairs because there's no way that the kids are going to be quiet down here. So, (laughs) Oh, Chriselle, I feel you. I was like two seconds away from doing this entire interview in my closet, which is not organized right now. And I was just going to pop myself on the ground. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm going in because this is the old, this is like my soundproof room. Hopefully this works. This is good. This works great. Okay. Sounds good. These are the things that we don't think about before we have kids. Like, oh, a quiet house. (laughs) What is that now? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. So Chriselle, I I love, I love that you talked to um, your daughter about that. And I think that really segues perfectly into we can't ignore the moment right now with Asian Americans. And so I'm really curious. We want to know, are you talking to your kids about it? Are you talking to your kids about racism? What are you telling them? How are you filtering it? What are you doing? How are you handling it? Yeah. Well, it has definitely been a challenging past few weeks, let alone months for our community, the Asian American community. And it's something that we've been having chats about with our children because this is actually full 360 because I felt like growing up as a child, these are struggles that I faced every single day. Kids would literally call me chink and gook and go back to China because I grew up in a predominantly all white neighborhood. And I I never felt like I fit in completely, although I had incredible friends. I just always felt like there was something 
different about me. And so I never want my kids to face that, right? I never want them to feel like an outsider. And so these are intentional conversations that I'm having with my kids. Um, My two-year-old being a little too young right now, but my six-year-old definitely. And just to kind of back channel about Asian Americans, we've always faced racism in this country. America Mm -hmm. is my home. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. But you know, we've always been kind of labeled as perpetual foreigners because we don't necessarily look American because we have slanted eyes or we have a different face shape. And so even though we are American, we've always been treated just slightly differently. And it's never like in your face all the time, right? And it's always mm-hmm. kind of like small wordings that like make us feel like foreigners. And this is this is a topic that I've been very open about on my social media, um, just because I want my platform to be a place where people can learn and feel educated and not threatened and be scared about, you know, what to say and what not to say. Whereas like, I want to use my platform to educate people on how to make everyone feel welcome. And since the coronavirus has started, I think it's 1800% of Asian hate crimes have risen. And we are Mm -hmm. seeing Mostly our elders, like our parents that are getting attacked, they're getting slashed, burned, murdered. You know, the recent killings of the Asian women in Georgia, like it's happening every single day and it's scary and it's sad, but this has allowed our community to kind of come together and really speak up because Asians have always been taught, Asian Americans, we've been taught to kind of turn the other cheek when something doesn't feel right, you know, don't put burden on people, don't take up space, you know, if it's not going to kill you, don't bother saying anything, because that is how they were raised. So that is how we were raised. But I think because now our elders cannot speak the language like we do, we're speaking up for them, and we're, we're fighting the fight for them. And it's something that um, I've been talking with my kids about. And, you know, again, my six-year-old is very well aware of everything that's happening. And, you know, to be honest, she's kind of confused of like why people are being so mean to Asian people, but she is fully aware. And I think it's, again, a great lesson to teach her that it doesn't matter the color of your skin. You know, we're all beautiful. We're, this is all our home just as much as the next person over. And it's been a great learning experience for her. It's just wonderful. Do you have any like books or has there been any resources that you found that helps kind of bridge that conversation about racism? Yeah. For children specifically, there's actually not many. There is this one book that I found at a bookstore. I forgot the exact name, but I saw it and, and it I immediately recognized it. And I think it's called The Eyes That Kiss the Corners. And it's like about an Asian mm-hmm. girl with like Asian eyes. And I saw that book recently at Barnes and Nobles. And I think it's about an Asian American girl growing up in America. But besides that, for kids, there hasn't been much, but I'm hoping that more will come out. And then also for adults, you know, there's the obvious like good old like Joy Luck Club that everyone has heard of or read. There's a lot of great books that talk about the Asian American experience. And I think the Asian American experience is unique to a lot of people and is actually new to some people. So I think reading upon the Asian American history, you know, when our ancestors actually immigrated to the U.S. and kind of what they had to go through, there was this Chinese Exclusion Act that was put into place that a lot of people don't know about that 
literally said that Chinese people can't do X, Y, and Z. Asian people cannot do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we're, we're kind of, history repeats itself and we're seeing a lot of that reoccurring again. And honestly, a lot of my peers in the fashion industry, in the beauty industry, they want to be supportive. But at the same time, they're like, you know, we sound, we feel stupid because we don't know much about Asian American history because it was never taught to us. And I'm like, no, don't feel stupid. You're absolutely right. Like in the history books, in school, no one teaches you about Asian American history. And I think, you know, having these type of conversation is such a great start for us to make that change. Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that as a child because I can't even imagine hearing that as an adult, let alone a child. And it's just hard and it's not right. I do love that there's awareness right now about it because I just feel like that's how change is going to happen. And I do believe that this generation is really, they want change and they want to see change for our generation and the younger generations to come, which is very cool. So I'm, I'm really hopeful and I hope that this movement, I hope that something comes out of the horrible, awful things that are happening Thank you. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I, I think the silver lining of it all, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people killed and murdered and just uh, injured along the way, but I think it's really united our community. Whereas before Asian Americans were great supporters of other communities. And we were always like seeing how we could be of service and how we could be of help to other people. But I think it's just really beautiful to see all sorts of people of different communities and colors and races coming together to support us, which feels really strange to say because we were taught growing up to like never be the burden of somebody else, right? Like if it's a burden, like that's no good. But now it's Stay almost in the like shadows. exactly. But now it's like you guys have been giving, like receive, right? And I think that's been a really challenging. Uh, challenging on my end and a lot of my peers is like, okay, we're receiving all this support and it, it feels weird that the spotlight is on us, but <laughs> it's been, it's been really beautiful to see the the outpour of support from people. Good. Thank you Good. for being so vocal about it. I think that is just, it, it makes people feel so comfortable to start having the conversation. I feel comfortable having the conversation, you know, with you. And I think yeah. that is, that's where, that's where we have to start. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, there's no dumb question, you know, I think if you're kind of scared to talk about something, it's okay to to say, I don't know. I don't know much. And I think that in itself shows that you want to know more and you want to care. And so anyone that's listening that is saying, I see what's happening, but I don't know how to speak about it. I don't know much about the culture. You know, that's totally okay. Right. And just right. knowing that you could start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister, I say it with quotes because we're not like biologically sisters. We don't have the same actual mother, but we pretend we're sisters. She was adopted from China and she is just like my little love. I love her so much. And all of this coming up now is, is making me think, wow, we've never had these deep conversations. Like I've never asked her these kind of questions of like, what has she gone through? Has she had to ha- had to go through kind of the same things that you were talking about as a kid? And so, you know, someone like me, I, I like to say that I'm a diverse person and, and open-minded and everything, but even myself, I'm finding like, wow, I, I really need to have these conversations and like check in with myself. And so I, I think that 
there's some good coming out of it in that way as well. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean, just I always say just check in with your your Asian friends. We're not used to being checked in on. And right. so I think when I was receiving those text messages and DMs from my friends and my peers and like even my managers, like just tears started coming out because I was like, I don't know, it felt weird. Like it felt weird that they're checking in on me, but it really deeply touched me. So it does go a long way. And I think that no matter like what our background is, there is a moment right now where where we're parents and we want to do better for our kids. Like Mm. we want to do better for our kids in the nutrition realm. We want to do better with our kids with behavior and emotional awareness, but we also want to do better with our kids about understanding others and feeling more comfortable having these conversations and being more accepting of others. So as a parent, it just, it really makes me think all the other things that I could be doing to just help Bryce get there and help other moms get there. Yeah, exactly. And I think this kind of, right now it's Gen Z that is like growing up, but what what do we call our kids? Like, I don't know what generation they're do you guys I know? know? I don't know either. No, I They're don't definitely know. not Gen Z, but it's the one after Gen Z. So whatever that is. But yeah, I mean, we are raising that generation and hopefully, you know, we are doing the right things to make an impact on how they look at, you know, these type of situations and, you know, the future is really in their hands. So... Right. Well, I think even all of us having these podcasts and starting these conversations, it's going to be this domino effect, right? Like if we're instilling these values in our kids and if we're spreading this knowledge and and little tips on how to raise mindful, open-minded, like loving kids, it's going to be a domino effect. And down the road, hopefully they're going to implement this and teach it to their kids and and it will just be second nature. I mean, that's my, my hope. I hope to. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That means a lot. And I guess something else I wanted to ask you is you have girls that are older than our kids, right? Like how old are your girls? And what's some parenting advice that you have for us? Because you're ahead of us in this journey and and we're, let's see, my oldest is three. And so I feel like we've got a lot to learn. What advice could you give Jess and I? I mean, first of all, Haley, you have three kids. So that in itself, like, I don't know how you handle that. But my oldest is six and a half and my youngest is almost three. And so I I think, especially because I'm a girl mom and, you know, you have to be open with them. I've been asked the craziest questions by my six-year-old where I'm like, how do you even know this stuff? And I want to shy away from it. But no, like these kids are growing up way faster than we did because they have access to technology, the internet, Mm. their friends, you know, they are just way ahead. So, you know, by the time they're, I would say about five or six, they're going to start asking you some interesting questions. As far as the boys, I'm not quite sure. I'm sure they'll get there as well. But my six-year-old girl, she's asking me about body parts. She's asking me about how a baby is made. Not like how they're born, but how it's made. And (laughs) which was, I loved that podcast of yours, by the way, listening. If you haven't listened to it, you should go listen right after this. Yeah. And I was so caught off guard and these questions continue to happen every single day. Of course, not, not like body parts and just like how baby is made, but different questions that you, you can't even fathom a six-year-old to even know at this point. And so I think 
I think just being prepared for that um, because they do know a lot more because I think we we compare our kids to like when we were their age, right? And I think it's a little unfair because they have access to way more stuff than we did at their age. And so just being prepared with your hearts on um, the questions that they ask. And if they, <laughs> if you don't know the answer, you have to say, I don't know, but I will get back to you because if you don't yeah. answer them, they will keep asking. <laughs> exactly. We can't ignore it. We can't yeah. shove it under the rug. Yeah. But I love your answer. I love your answer about being honest because I think that we don't give kids enough credit a lot of times. They are so much smarter and they want to know the right information. And so like even with body parts, giving the right name for the body part and trying to be truly just as matter of fact about it as possible helps them understand. And so I love that. Honestly, that's a big thing that I've been doing because funny story, my mom growing up, she wanted to kind of put me in this little bubble. I, I don't blame her. You know, all parents want to like kind of keep you in this bubble as long as they can. Right. She told me a false name for vagina in Korean, right? So mm-hmm. I was always calling it something else that sounded very similar to it, but it wasn't the actual word. I have a group of Korean friends. And one time I was like trying to explain something about mm-hmm. my vagina in Korean. And they're just like, what did you say? And this is literally three years ago. Like I'm a grown ass woman. And like in my 30s, they're like, what did you just say? Like, what did you call your vagina? And I was like, and they're like, no, it's not called that. And it was like, my mom has been lying to me for 30 years about this. And I still have, I had no idea. I found out from my friends, right? um, So I definitely don't want my kids to feel that way. So when my daughter, she is like, what is that down there? You know, I'll say it's Mm -hmm. a vagina. And then, (laughs) you know, if she sees, I don't know, daddy in the shower and she sees his penis, she'll be like, what is that? What does daddy have? It's a penis. It's a penis. (laughs) Right. You know, that's what, like, that's what it is. And so and it I, is, yeah, it's <laughs> so hard to say it neutrally because like obviously just society all around, but just giving those matter of fact words, it's one yeah. of the best things we can do for our kids because it empowers them with the own knowledge of growing up, but it also keeps them safe. They need to know what their body parts are called so they can tell us, right? If anyone's ever touched them or like any of the scary things where we go to, they knowledge is power and they need to know that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I get like flustered saying it myself because I was raised to feel uncomfortable talking about these things, right? But trying to say it, as you said, Jessica, like as a matter of fact, it is what it is and just giving them that knowledge that that they need. Well, that was really good advice. Thank you. Yes. It naturally happens with potty training. I tell parents, lean into it when you're potty training. Like the pee, the poop, the penis, the vagina, like the whole thing. When you're potty training, that's when you can really just start tackling that. Exactly. Yeah. Olivia is starting to ask, why does daddy stand up when he pees and you don't? And why did why do you wipe and daddy doesn't? And I'm like, <laughs> well, well, where do I start? You. It's uh, going to come one way or the other. Right. The questions are starting. And you also want them to learn it from you, not from somebody else. So True. Yeah. I tell parents that all the time. If you don't give them the accurate information, they're going to get it from somewhere else. And it, then you can't control the narrative. And so it is so important that you give them the real information. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I kind of have a silly question, but what is your favorite baby gift to give? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> so. It's not the usual because whenever there's baby showers or, you know, once a mom gives birth, 
everyone gives attention to the baby, right? So baby gets everything. And so when I give gifts, I usually never get anything for the baby. I always get it for the mom and what Mm -hmm. their needs are. And it's something as simple as, for instance, and sometimes it has nothing to do with postpartum. It depends on like who the friend is. Mm -hmm. Um, But my favorite gift is to just give them a really nice candle, like a luxurious candle, which has nothing to do with postpartum. It just reminds them to like take care of themselves and find those moments where you can actually use the candle and enjoy it. Or another one I like to give is, I don't even know what this pillow is called, but there's a specific pillow on Amazon that I have that I'm so obsessed with. It actually cools your head when you're sleeping on it. Because for me, when I became a parent, all, my body was hot all the time. Like even when I was sleeping, I was so hot, right? Right, right. So, same. Yeah, so this pillow actually um, like cools them when they're, they're laying down and just reminds them to rest. So not, I don't know if that's a good answer, but I always like to give something for the mom instead. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. I feel like I've loved when a couple of my friends have done that for me, like given me a robe or really soft PJs that button up for breastfeeding and like, wow, that was just so thoughtful. So what a good idea to really think of the mom and self-care. I love that. Look, I mean, baby, no matter how fancy a a robe or like PJs or a onesie, you get them, they can't appreciate it. And they'll survive in their like hospital gear. It's fine. You know, (laughs) it's the mom that needs the love and like, you know, to feel good during those times. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. My dad, when he's listening to this podcast is going to love that answer because he makes candles. And I think it's a good reminder because I always feel like when I give candles, people feel like, oh, you're giving candles because that's what your family does. But I actually think a candle is just the best self-care that you can do because it reminds you to relax. It like, I don't know, for me, whenever I turn on my candle, it allows me to like exhale for some reason, for some weird reason, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I actually, and that answer is fantastic, Michelle. I tell people when you go visit the baby, like you're going to visit the baby, you know, we've had less of that time recently over the past year, but bring a gift for the mom. Instead of bringing a gift postpartum for the baby, they have all that stuff then. Mm-hmm. Bring something for the mom. So I'm going to adopt your trick. I think that is fantastic for every baby shower I get go to now. I'm and then also postpartum, moms need to eat, right? And they oftentimes forget, especially if they're breastfeeding and they need to produce milk, you need to eat a lot. So a few of my friends, they just gave me gift cards to DoorDash or like Uber Eats, like $100. And that like reminded me every single day that, oh, I have like these coupons. I might as well just use them to go eat instead of like trying to figure out what I'm going to feed myself because that takes so much effort. So it's just like really thinking about what the mom needs at that time. I think those make the best gifts. I'm definitely taking some notes and ideas from you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. When you first had kids, what are some of the resources that you really relied on most? Was it like your friends or did you have a website that you went to um, or your mom? Where did you go to find information? I think the place that I went to get the most trusted information was not a website. It was because there's so many amazing websites. And I think that's a problem is that there's just too much of everything out there. And it's almost like it's information overload. So then all of a sudden you you feel like you have to buy everything. And honestly, new moms need new stuff, especially if it's your first time, but you actually don't need 
all of it, right? And so I just went to my trusted friends. Um, my best list comes from Eva Chen. I don't know if you guys know her. She's head of partnerships at Instagram. But Eva sent me her list. And because I trusted her, I just literally got everything that she had on there. And she's very like practical. So I would say, you know, ask your, your closest friends like what they actually use. And to be honest, if you have a circle of mom friends, they're always trying to get rid of things. Like always. Yes. And I have to say, I was the first one out of my friends. So it was really hard to get anything used. But I would say don't buy anything new if you don't have to. Because your baby's going to grow out of it. You know, within a few months, they can't even use it or wear it or sleep in it or whatever. Just like right. rent it if you can or just borrow somebody's and just put it out there. Mm-hmm. Because you only need it for such a short amount of time. Yeah. Like, look, and- the snoo, right? The snoo is a good example. I love the snoo. I use the snoo. But then literally after like three months, I just couldn't use. So I shopped, like right. I literally passed my snoo around to other moms that needed it. And so, yeah, you just have to be smart with where you're spending your dollars to think if it's actually going to be worth it in the long run. Right. And I love what you said about you really don't even need that much because that was what I learned after our first child. I put everything on my registry. Like now, if we would have looked at my registry, we'd be like, wow, I don't I don't need like two thirds of that stuff. But it's hard to know, right? You just sign up for everything because it looks so fun and cute. And then for my second and third, I mean, just because they were second and third kids, we really didn't buy anything, but I got rid of so much stuff. And so that's one of my advices too, is like, it's just, you don't need that much. Like, especially because a lot of the products it's, you're going to have to wean your child off it anyways. So like, uh, um, what's it called a baby wipe warmer? Like it's really nice, but we travel a lot. So I don't want to have to have like use a cold wipe on my baby and then be, then have them freak out. So just, I tried to simplify it as well for the second and third. It's so true. I'm like, I got a baby wipe warmer for my first. And then for the second, Mm -hmm. I like, we didn't even use it. And she's fine. She's actually more (laughs) tough because. So (laughs) I think like, yes, like, so teaching this in the, in the parent world for so long, I was always so frustrated with so many resources that were so impractical. And one of the most practical tips is I say, don't use a wipe warmer and don't use a baby bottle warmer Mm. because you don't actually, unless your kid is fussy and ends up needing it, hold off in the beginning because then you're not setting them up to be anywhere. You're, you know, somewhere else, not at home. And then the milk's not warmed. It's just one less step you have to go through. So I think adding those things only when you need them is just the best advice. I love that. I mean, it's so true. And I think uh, my first child, Chloe, she was definitely coddled. And I, I, I'm sure a lot of first children are because they're the first, mm-hmm. right? And then the second is just like way more tough because you didn't coddle them and they're way more sufficient because you didn't do half the things that you were doing for the first. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's just my experience with two, my two children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And Haley, I feel like that is just our mission in life is to make practical parenting, you know, right. easy. Simplify it all. Simplify it all. We can't make it simple enough. Exactly. Well, something that we always finish with and and we just want to ask you, what has made you feel full this week? This week. Well, this week specifically was a very hard week for our community, the Asian American community. So I think mm-hmm. what made me feel 
very, very full was a few of the brands that I actually work with. They just emailed asking if they could, uh, not publicly. And I think, you know, if you want to go public with it, totally fine. But just like in silence, they wanted to donate, you know, a pretty large amount of money to any organization that would actually support my community. And I had about three companies reach out to me about that. And that made me very, very happy. And, you know, it was off the record. It wasn't, for, it wasn't like a publicity stunt. It wasn't for them to look good. It was just because they genuinely cared and they want to help. And that really, you know, made me feel so happy and felt like what I was doing was worth it of like spreading awareness and also just like the friends that have reached out. And that really made me feel full. And then another one, parenting related, you know, I've just been feeling kind of crappy, I guess, because I've been spending so much time with my work and not as present with my kids as I wanted to this past week. But my daughter yesterday, as she was about to go to sleep, she was just like, mommy, I just want to tell you that you're the best mom in the whole wide world. I don't care if you work too much. Um, Even though I want to hang out with you more, I still think you're the best mommy. So it made me happy, but it made me kind of sad. (laughs) oh those are the sweetest moments before bed it is it's my favorite times of them and their honesty is just it's just uncanny it's so it's so fantastic yeah they they're so in tune I love that well those are meaningful moments thanks for sharing and just before we go I want to ask you um if you could tell our listeners where they can find you and then just tell a little bit about your being Bumo podcast and Bumo and anything else? Yeah, thank you. So you can find me at Chriselle Lim on Instagram. We also have a podcast that we also just recorded with these ladies called Being Bumo. And it's all about parenting tips, experts. And it was really um, inspired by my company, Bumo. Bumo, I won't try to keep this too long, but Bumo was a company I started when I first became a mom. So we could add, I just felt like there was not enough support for working parents to be able to work and thrive in their career all while doing, being the best parents they could be. So I launched Bumo, which is actually integrating childcare to the workplace. And so our very first location is opening up in two weeks at Westfield Century City Shopping Center, where parents can be co-located with their children. It's co-located, but still separate because we all know when the kids are in the room, it's just like very hard to get anything done. So um, our very first location is opening up um, in Los Angeles. So if anyone is around Los Angeles, you definitely have to come check us out. But then we also, in the midst of the pandemic, we launched Bumo Brain, which is our virtual education platform for early learners, ages one through seven years old. Hands-on learning the best of the curriculum at that age. You know, you can learn everything from foreign language to chef math, learning about math concepts through cooking to doctor kid, learning about the anatomy of the body. Um, You know, there's just a lot of fun classes. And within a year, we've been able to teach over 20,000 classes in 50 different countries. And it's just, we're just getting started. So, you know, if anyone's interested in that, you could check out boomobrain.com or at boomobrain on Instagram. Well, congratulations. I'm so excited to try that. We, I have to get you guys trying it out because you guys have the perfect age kids for Boomo Brain. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, when you just said that, I was like, wait, this is my dream. <laughs> you know, so it, it was because for me, I created it because in the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, how am I going to get anything done? I have my kids on top of me. I still need to work. 
And so I was like, I can't hire a babysitter to come here, right? Because this was like the like when the pandemic was really, really bad. And so we created these classes where it would literally engage and educate kids um, virtually. So parents can also do their own thing. And it's great because most parents don't want to park their kids in front of the iPad for too long. And this is just a great alternative. So wow. I love it. Genius. I can't wait to try. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I feel you, like ladies. we're going to have such fun, uh, meaningful living Bumo collabs. I think there's just so much fun stuff we can do. I love Agreed. it. Great. Well, thank you ladies for having me. I had so much Thanks fun talking to you guys. You too, Christelle. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. And I am currently going to go make notes on how I can structure my day like yours. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> Talk All soon. right. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts, experiences, and anything you want us to cover. Tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. If you're looking for a way to help and contribute to bringing awareness to the Asian American experience, check out the episode notes for details. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. Can't wait to see you next week.